Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, I hope you don't mind, but today we're going to be talking about loving the Lord with your mind. Oh, Oh, snap. All right. Jesus has asked this question in the scriptures. Teacher, what is the most important commandment? And he quotes in an answer to this question a verse from Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema, a famous prayer that Jewish people would pray in the morning and night where you are called to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your strength. But when Jesus responds to this question, he, qu- he quotes the Shema, but he adds a word to it. Let's read it in Matthew 22. So he says, teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Okay, that's in Deuteronomy. All of your soul, that's in Deuteronomy. And all your mind, whoa, that is not in Deuteronomy. This is a new addition that Jesus brings to the scripture. And he says, this is the first and great commandment. He adds mind to the list of how we are commanded to love God. And so today, I want to talk about what does it mean to love God with your mind? You know, if you approach someone and you say, I love you with all of my heart, you get a great response usually. In my experience, if you approach someone and say, I love you with all of my mind, it's a little awkward. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of our mind? I mean, instead of singing the songs like we sing today, like Amazing Grace, Next Sunday, should we come in here and be like, all right, Lord, I'm here to worship you with my mind. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I'm worshiping you with my mind. Is that what it means? Any Pythagorean theorem fans in the house of God? Amen. Don't get me started on the quadratic formula. A equals, all right. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of our mind? You know, this is uh, a confusing thing. And today, we're going to just kind of digest this and unpack it a little bit. But maybe you're like me in the church. I was taught things like, you know what, high school or Pradeepin, be careful when you go to college because when you go to higher education, you lose your faith. Have you ever been taught something like that? Or, you know, our, our Christianity isn't just head knowledge. It's a heart posture. Ever heard something like that? And so what, what does it mean to love the Lord with our mind when we've been taught things like that? And I love that Jesus calls us to love him with our mind because becoming a Christian is how I fell in love with learning and education. Uh, before I became a follower of Jesus, I was a horrible student. I was failing so many classes. I even failed my band class. All you had to do is attend and you passed. I failed it. I I was failing several classes. In fact, my freshman year in high school, I got over 40 uh, detentions. And I was such a bad student that I I used to provoke this one teacher until she verbally got mad at me and got fired for the things she said to me. I was that kind of student. And uh, it it all changed, though, because I, I became a follower of Jesus. And somehow this passion to learn the scriptures, 
This passion to learn more about Jesus actually unlocked a passion for education and, and reading more books and, and figuring out doctrine and theology and just all of life and really applying myself to school. My pastor shares scriptures with me like in 1 Timothy 2 that says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that made an impact on me. I wanted to study to show myself approved to the Lord. Another scripture that impacted me in my youth was Proverbs 25 that says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And so learning these things about education and how it's okay to use our brain to love, the Lord actually gave me a passion for education. And I went from failing most all of my classes in middle school and all of that to becoming, to the glory of God, the graduation speaker in both high school and college. Let me, assure, let me show you a clip from my college graduation speech, and you'll see how educated I really am. This feels a lot different than it did in my room. <laughs> the power of education, my friends. <laughs> See how educated I got? You know, though, in the church, though, we may have been taught that education is the opposite of spirituality. Honoring our mind is the opposite of honoring our hearts. Maybe you've watched movies like Nacho Libre, where the guy said, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. And you're like, I have to either choose education or science or faith in Jesus. But I want to let you know that has not been my experience with Christianity at all. In fact, inspired by Jesus, the church has done a lot to advocate and contribute to the embracing of our minds. So today, I want to share three encouragements about loving God with all of our minds. Number one, faith is not a call to hide in the dark, but to step in the light. Jesus commands us to embrace our minds as a means to love God. Divine revelation does not oppose rational education. And while, while the church has made horrible mistakes in the past with suppression of information and not addressing certain taboo, quote-unquote, subjects, I believe that if you take a moment to get educated on the larger impact of the church concerning education, you'll see that the church has done a lot to advocate and support and finance science, education, music, medical, all of these fields of education. And I relate to what Albert Einstein, he said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. And so I want to share a few examples of how the church has impacted the pursuit of loving with our minds. You know, modern music is written because of the church. Let me read this. The modern Western music notation system developed from a basic notation system designed by an 11th century monk named Guido de Rezo, 
who developed a notation system from pneumatic practices that eventually evolved into the system we use today. I like written music. Well, thank you, Guido. Andrew Jennings, our worship director here at Kalos Church, what's your degree in? Sacred music. Thank you for your service. And so the modern music system, thank you, church, for creating that. And when it concerns modern healthcare, let me read this. The foremost expert on the early history of hospitals, Gary Ferngren, PhD, made the point most emphatically in his recent historical survey published by John Hopkins University. He wrote, the hospital was, in origin and conception, a distinctly, distinctively Christian institution rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. There were no pre-Christian institutions in the ancient world that served the purpose that Christian hospitals were created to serve. None of the provisions for healthcare in classical times resembled hospitals as they developed in the late fourth century. So this is from Johns Hopkins. You, uh, they're sharing that the church has made an impact on our medical system in the world. You know, when it concerns like the major uh, education, universities, colleges, academia in America, you know Britannica? You remember those book sets, Britannica? Well, let's read what Britannica says. The Christian church created the basis of the Western system of education. I'm not going to argue with Britannica. No way. I love these quotes. Here, let me read another one. Historian of science John L. Heilbrunn has noted that the Roman Catholic Church gave more financial aid and social support to the study of astronomy for over six centuries from the recovery of ancient learning during the late Middle Ages into the Enlightenment than any other and probably all other institutions. The university system, too, was essentially an invention of the Catholic Church. As author Thomas Woods writes, historians have marveled at the extent to which intellectual debate in those universities was free and unfettered. The exaltation of human reason and its capabilities, a commitment to rigorous and rational debate, a promotion of intellectual inquiry and scholarly exchange, all sponsored by the church, provided the framework for the scientific revolution. Entire scientific fields owe their genesis to Catholic scientists. Geology and Egyptology were founded by Father Nicholas Stino and Father Athanasius Kircher, respectively. 18th century polymath Father Roger Basovich developed ideas that presage... I'm not educated. Modern atomic theory. Jesuits contributed to so much to the science of seismology that it was often regarded as the Jesuit science. Even economics, far from beginning with Adam Smith, was founded by 14th century Catholic thinkers such as Jean Buridan and Nicholas Sarisme. Isn't that powerful? And so the church, Christianity, has not opposed education science and knowledge, it's advocated for that. And I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus commands us to love God with our minds so we have no excuse to justify ignorance. Amen? And this is what I'm seeing throughout the scriptures, that this faith that we've inherited is not embracing darkness. It's a leap into the light. And I found that it is so freeing. You know, the most famous scripture that we see in the world is what? What's the most famous scripture? John 3.16. This scripture exists because a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus approached Jesus in the middle of the night to ask him a question. 
if he would not have asked Jesus that question, we wouldn't have the most famous Bible verse of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And it's this, this facilitation of asking questions and getting answers that Jesus really celebrated. It's something that the church ought to celebrate today. But maybe you've been taught in the church, I cannot ask questions. I cannot have doubts. I have to just receive whatever the preacher or the teacher says, and I can't question it at all. Well, that is not what I find in the scripture. We are called to study. We are called to search. We are called to ask questions. And here at Kalos Church, it is okay to ask questions. And if you have ever felt like I don't belong in church because I have a mind, I don't belong in church because I have some serious questions on the validity of the Bible or the claims of faith or the claims of Jesus, I want to let you know if you have questions, the church is the perfect place for all of us to be. It is an act of worship. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's our glory to search that matter out. Can I get a good amen? And so for those of us with brains and minds and intellect who felt like we had to check our brains at the door of the church in order to worship God, be it not so for Kalos Church. This is a place where we can worship the Lord with our mind, body, soul, and strength. Can I get a better amen? And so Yes, we don't want to fall into emotionalism as the church, but we also don't want to deny our intellectualism either. And to be honest, I think we've been a little resistant to worshiping God within our minds because I think it can be hard or intimidating to embrace theology. Maybe we don't understand all of the words, but we need to make sure that we have a balance in our churches and in our faith between truth and emotion. You know, celebrating our mind doesn't mean discounting our heart, amen? Celebrating intellect doesn't mean discounting our emotions. There needs to be a balance. Remember, Jesus says he's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. But if we're honest, I feel over the years of church history in America, we've dumbed down our faith because we're so afraid of intellectualism. We've dumbed down our faith because we're afraid of being people that honor God with our lips, but not our hearts. But we are called to worship the Lord with our mind. I wrote it like this. Truth without emotion produces dead religion. Yes. And that's what many of us have been taught. Truth without emotion produces dead religion. But emotion without truth produces superstition. We are called to ground ourselves in the faith of scripture, ground ourselves in sound doctrine and theology. Otherwise, we'll just believe in superstition. How many of you are still afraid to step on the crack of a sidewalk? Because you're like, my poor mom, I don't want to break her back. That is superstition. But let's be honest, when we go through life and we're thinking about that, we don't step on the crack because we're guided by these things. And especially in our worship music, a lot of us, we don't realize it, but as we worship, so we believe. And as we believe, so we act. And so the lyrics we sing, the way we worship, it impacts how we believe these superstitions, things we've been taught in our families, in our culture. They may not align with the scripture. And so it creates this kind of superstition that we follow because we haven't engaged our brain, our minds. What does the scripture actually say about the subject? What does theology actually believe about this? You know, when I I was growing up, before I was 
a Christian. Many of you know my story. I was a refugee, and I was actually raised in a Lutheran church building. So my first memories as a young person, as a four- or three-year-old, I actually lived in a Lutheran church property. And uh, I remember walking around the pews and hearing these hymns sung. And we would sing songs like this. Maybe you know it. Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. Anybody know this song? On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. For not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Saboth, his name, from age to age the same, and we must win the battle. These were the songs we used to sing, even as young kids in church. And it was like, in order to worship the Lord, we weren't just engaging our, our heart and our emotions. We had to, like, learn the scripture. We had to learn theology. We had to understand what are these words meaning. Everybody, anybody here ever sing, like, Lord, would you change the leopard spots? And then someone was like, no, he's saying change the leper spots. You're like, and you're learning the Bible. You're learning theology through song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your mind was strengthened in worship. And I'm not trying to bash our church or our worship team because I'm a huge part of the team. I help pick the songs. I'm not even trying to bash the American church. But when you study the lyrics of the songs we sing today, it's not very intellectually engaging. So this last song, we talked about how he must win the battle. God wins the battle for us. I, I want you to notice the song that we have sang at Kalo's church. And see if you can notice the distance in the intellectual capacity between the two songs. All right, here's another song. This is how I fight my battles. 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 This is how I fight my battles at your table. Do you, does anybody notice the difference between these two songs? Raise your hand if you notice the difference. Thank you, thank you. We've come a long way in our lyrics. We've come a long way in our worship. And I'm not trying to bash modern music because I do think we need to engage our hearts. I do think singing refrains and a repeated chorus helps us just enter in. And, and uh, you know, we know in eternity the elders are surrounding the throne of God just singing a one-word song, holy, holy, holy. So I'm not against simple worship. I believe that honors God and I believes it. But I am against embracing simple worship at the expense of our intellect. Amen? God requires us to worship him with our mind. It's not just a suggestion. It's a commandment. God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. I love this scripture in John 15, 15. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. I love that. That's beautiful. Why does he call us friends? But I have called you friends because everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. And so Jesus says the difference between servants and friends are people that he's taught and they understand why he's doing what he's doing. See, servants, they are given tasks. They're given, you know, instructions, do this. But Jesus is saying, friends, know why I'm asking you to do this. You understand the logic. 
You understand the rationale. You have been taught the things that I have been taught from my heavenly father. He's exalting education. But this idea of learning paves the way for us to experience a friendship with God. Have you experienced friendship with God? Where you're not just going through the motions. You're not just a servant. Okay, Lord, I'll pray. Okay, I'll go to church. But you're like, wow, Lord, you're brilliant. This knowledge you've given us, as I've opened up the scriptures, I see that you're creating redemption here on earth. You've shown us a better way. And now that I understand the way you think, I see how beautiful your plans in the scriptures are for all of humanity. When I look at your instructions for families and societies, when I look at your instructions for how we are to treat the earth, it's actually extremely beautiful. I'm so glad I'm not just blindly following orders, but I understand the why behind the what. This is the power of education. It paves the way for us to not just be servants, but friends of God. I believe that this is especially important in our age. And this is why we are passionate here about Kalos at Kalos Church about theology and doctrine. In fact, when we talk about the songs we sing at Kalos Church, we actually talk about how does this match up with church history? How does this match up with biblical theology? Because what we sing shapes what we believe. And as we believe, it shapes how we act. And so this is why we do communion every single Sunday, because we want to make sure our theology isn't just based on self-help or echoing politics or whatever culture demands we parrot, but we are preaching a simple gospel every Sunday. Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven. This is what we preach. This is why we have a confession of worship at the beginning of our service. Because we know we're worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we come not as consumers, but worshipers. Lord, here's our life. We give it to you. It's so important that we're grounded in sound theology. And we know not just certain quotes, but we understand the greater why. Remember, when Jesus is tempted in the the desert, he's fasting for 40 days. Satan tempts him with scriptures. See, the enemy knew scriptures, but Jesus, he didn't just know individual scriptures. He knew greater doctrine and theology, and so he was able to fight the deception of Satan with scriptures with a holistic view of scriptures. Do you know just certain cherry-picked scriptures, or do you know the holistic view of scriptures through the greater scriptures? through the Bible, through church history, through theology, through doctrine. It's very important that we have a systematic theology in our lives. Otherwise, we'll just have our ears scratched by whatever echo chamber pleases us at the time. And we'll find ourselves believing this and this and going here and there. But the anchor of theology grounds us to endure and stay the course in a way that honors God with all of our being. How many of you want to worship the Lord with all of our being for the long haul? I know I do. And this is important in our age because I I believe that for most of my life, we were in an age of information. Age of information means information has been doubling and doubling and doubling. We have the internet. We have libraries. We have so many books being written every single day. But I believe sometime in the last 10 years, we've shifted from an age of info to an age of belief where now we come into arguments already believing something, and we just look for information to back up what we already believe. Echo chambers, right? 
I go to Facebook to find the news article. I go to Reddit to find the news article that already establishes what I believe. I'm not just looking for neutral, unbiased facts. I'm looking for a confirmation bias. And as this increases, I think it's more important for us to be anchored in the scripture. Otherwise, we will be swayed. I love this quote from a pastor named John Mark Comer. He writes, doctrine does matter very much, but not to pass the test and get into heaven. It matters because we become like our vision of God. The goal of reading scripture is not information, but spiritual formation. To take on the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus thinks, to fill your mind with the thoughts of God so regularly and deeply that it literally rewires your brain. And from there, your whole person. And so this is an act of worship, loving God with our mind, studying the scriptures, understanding our faith. In fact, this is one of the reasons why we've been doing things like Rooted last year and Alpha this year. It's one of the reasons we're doing these small groups, because we want to make sure that our church isn't just a social club, that we're not leading you astray. I don't want to lead you by personality, but I, wanted a, I want us to be grounded on the word of Christ. Amen? I mean, in Philippians 1, the scripture says, and this is my prayer. This is what Paul wrote to the church. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. See, love and knowledge are not mutually exclusive. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. But it doesn't end there. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so today, I just want to ask you this question. Have you taken the time to learn Christian doctrine? Have you taken the time to think about what you're thinking about? Yeah. Because this is a huge aspect of how we're called to worship God. And so, yes, God says we can embrace our intellect as worship, and God wants us to know him, not just as servants, but as friends. But a third thing I want to share is this. God wants to be on your mind. You know, this week, I changed the settings on my phone to uh, grayscale, so everything is black and white. Anybody do that here? And what, what has happened is it, it's not as exciting anymore. It doesn't release as much dopamine in my brain when I use my phone because there's no, you know, fancy colors attracted me to it. And uh, I, I did this because I realized I'm really distracted in life. Anybody feel double-minded, scatterbrained, just distracted? And I was like, I just, I need to do something practical because willpower isn't doing it. I'm just going to use my phone less. It doesn't work. Can I get a good amen? <laughs> so I'm just going to try using Grayscale. And it's actually already working. So free tip for you if you're wanting to be less distracted. In the same way, though, I feel like my, my distraction not only has it impacted me, it's impacted my, my, my family. You know when you're talking to someone and they're, they're, they're saying they're listening, but their mind isn't there, and you can tell? You know, our daughter, if we are asked a question by her, and we just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, while we're looking at the phone, she'll say, Mama, Dada, no mm-hmm. 
No, mm-mm. I want you to listen to me. In fact, she's, she's been saying, look at me a lot. Look at me. Actually, I want to show you this video of her. She's going to say, look at me. If you can't hear what she's saying. <laughs> and then do a funny face. Yeah. Hello. Come in your face. Whoa. Ah, that's so funny, Nala. Your eyes. <laughs> Whoa. she went to sleep. I'm not joking about that. <laughs> so the whole car ride, daddy, look at me, daddy, look at me, daddy, look at me. And it, it's crazy. I don't know if you've ever interacted with a kid, but sometimes uh, uh, Amritha and I will just be hanging out in the living room. Nala will walk right up to us and say, hey, look at me, or just pick me up. And then we grab her, and then she immediately wants to go away. Have you ever experienced that? You're like, you just distract me. You got me off topic. And I, I was talking with my therapist about that, and she said, it's because your daughter wants to know that you hold her in your mind. She just wants to know that she, she matters enough to distract you, that she has your attention. And I just thought, wow, that, that's just so beautiful. My daughter wants to be seen by me. My daughter wants my attention. And she says, look at me, look at me, look at me. In the same way, I believe that God wants your attention. He wants to be on your thoughts. He wants to know that you hold him in your mind. And I just think this is so beautiful, that we serve a God who, who doesn't just want us to be servants. He wants us to be friends. We serve a God who actually wants to know we're paying attention to him. And he's saying, look at me. In this age of distraction, in this age where we can do so many things, we can watch shows or can get caught up in these conversations, when our, our phones are stealing so much of our attention, where we say, Lord, I, I just don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to join an Alpha Small group. I don't have time to worship you. I don't have time to do any of these spiritual disciplines. I don't have time to study theology. I don't have time to study doctrine. I don't have time, Lord. Oh, but I just spent six hours on social media today. Right? Lord, I don't have time for you. I just binge Stranger Things in one day. Lord's just saying, hey, would you, would you look at me? Would you look at me? And I, I just think that's so beautiful. The, the, the God of all of the universe, the God of all creation, he's looking at you right now and saying, can I have your attention? Can I have your thoughts? Can I have your mind? Can you just look at me? I love you. I want you. I desire you. And he created all of you, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength. He created your mind. And my, my challenge for us today is, can we be a people who worships the Lord with our mind? Can we be a people who worships him with our thoughts? Can we be a people that worships him with our focus and our attention, where we say, Lord, you have my heart. Lord, you have my soul. Lord, you have my mind. And if this is all 
too intimidating for you. Honestly, this is our heart for why we've created these Alpha Small Groups. For, for those of us, maybe you already learned doctrine, you've already learned theology, but you're, you're finding yourself struggling to practice spiritual disciplines regularly. You find yourself struggling making time for the things of the Lord. Well, we're going to be doing this all together with these weekly small groups. We're going to be learning theology. We're going to be breaking bread together. We're going to be praying. We're going to be encouraging each other. We're going to be making time to say, Lord, you have my attention. So today, I just encourage you, if you haven't signed up, sign up. And if you already have, let's just dedicate our lives to worshiping the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. We're so honored that you would want any part of us. We're so honored that you want our attention. We're so honored that you, you want to know us and you call us friends. You want to not just give us tasks, but you want us to help. You want to help us understand why you're doing what you're doing. So Lord, I pray that you'd engage our minds. And for those of us who have maybe been shunned in church for asking too many questions or having too many doubts, Lord, I, I, I'm so thankful that you say it's your glory to conceal a matter. And it's our glory to search it out. And Lord, I pray that we would give you all the glory you deserve by searching and searching and asking and knocking because we know, Lord, that when we seek, we will find you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.